Imagine having the best-selling book about God and being synonymous with the very word itself. Buckle on up as you are about to hear from this famous author who burst onto the scene in the 1990s and is back with yet another bestseller. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. All right, our guest on the Motivation Show was the author of Conversations with God, Book One and Uncommon Dialogue, published in 1995, which became a global publishing phenomenon, staying on the New York Times bestseller list for 137 weeks. Many books later, he is now the author of God Talk, the experience of humanity's connections with a higher power. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Neil Donald Walsh. Thank you, my friend. Lovely to be here. How may I serve the moment? Well, you know, 24 years ago, you did serve the moment, and uh, you actually worked with my company, the Seminar Center, and you uh, talked about your incredible book, Conversations with God, at the height of uh, of that book being on the bestseller list. So today, we're going to talk about this new book, and I think the first question that begs is, what's the difference between this book and Conversations with God and all the other books in between? Well, I think this is the first book that I was actually asked to write in the other books. You know, most authors get an idea for a book and then they look for a publisher. And if they're lucky, they find one. But it's very rare, extremely rare in my experience for a publisher to call an author and say, would you write a book on the following topic? But that's what happened here. A publisher, my phone rang about a year ago and a publisher said, would you be willing to write a book telling people? how they might be able to have their own experience of conversations with God, how you approached it in your life and how they could approach it in their life. And I said, you know what? That sounds like a very interesting book. Let, let me take a crack at it. So I did, and I sent it to them, and they felt that it had some value. So they put the book out. So that's what makes it different, is that it's not a book of you know, my own thoughts uh, around conversations with God, nor is it a book of, of dialogue with God, it's a book that tells people how they could have their own experience of connection with the divine. And it also contains, by the way, interestingly enough, stories, six or seven stories from other people. I didn't select those. The publisher actually put a call out on the internet inviting people, if you've, if you've ever felt that God was intervening in your life in a direct way, what you call divine intervention, send us your story. And people sent in by the hundreds, by the way, and, and they had editors looking at those stories for a couple of weeks, and they picked out the seven most interesting ones and included those in the book. To, I think it was they were put in the book to show people that it's not just this guy, Neil Donald Walsh, but really all of us having conversations with God all the time. And here are some stories from other people who've had the exact same kind of encounter. So I think that makes the book fascinating and allows people to move forward if they have their own desire to have a direct connection with the divine. So some people look at God as having a leap of faith, and often it does take a very strong faith to believe in God. And then there are those atheists who, no matter how much uh, proof you bring to them, uh, are still going to deny the existence of God. Why do you feel 100% sure there's a God? Because I've experienced God in my life. 
I've had a direct experience of communication from and with the divine. And when I have followed uh, those uh, messages, that is, you know, I, I was almost going to be tempted to say follow those instructions, but they're not really instructions because God doesn't instruct us, but she does invite us and make suggestions. And every time I have followed those suggestions that I was given in my conversations with God, things have worked out beautifully and wonderfully for me. So, you know, proof's in the pudding. So my, that's that's why I have become very, very clear that there is uh, an experience in the universe called God. Now, here's what's interesting, Eli. The um, sociologists have taken surveys around the world asking people a single question. It's a one-question survey, and they've taken it in countries across the globe. The question they've asked people on the street is, do you believe in a higher power? 8.5 out of every 10 people statistically have said yes. So there's massive agreement among human beings that there's more going on here than meets the eye. There's some kind of higher power. But there's there's disagreement on what that higher power is or how it works or what it wants, if anything, what it does, if anything, if it doesn't get what it wants. And is there any way that we can use that higher power in our own life? That's why there are 4,223 religions on the face of the earth right now, because we can't come to an agreement about God. But most people agree that there is something more going on here than meets the eye. One of the fascinating things in reading uh, the book God Talk is you talk about the fact that there are things that happen to you throughout your life that really are miraculous if you're really looking back at it as a 2020 armchair quarterback but at the time you didn't credit it necessarily to god's intervention you may have just thought it was oh just a coincidence but maybe those aren't such coincidences after all maybe god did intervene you know when that truck was about to hit you and something just came and and interrupted that pattern where you missed that truck that i would say is a miracle and maybe that is a higher power so talk about that a little bit you know i want to make make it clear that my understanding is that god does not have a preference in the matter of how our lives move forward so God, you know, does not want us to get the job or, you know, or find the, the perfect partner or move to the right city or for that matter, get missed being hit by the, by the, by the truck. It's, it's, God does not have a, this is hard for people to believe, but I was told in my conversations, I don't have a preference in the matter. What I do uh, desire as opposed to prefer, what I desire, God said to me, is for you to have the ability to have your own preferences matched. That is for you to step into the creations that you wish to produce in your life. So if you don't want to produce an untimely death by being hit by a truck moving through an intersection, then my desire is to give you the ability to avoid such an outcome by expanding your the horizons of your perception. So that's what happened there. It wasn't a, in that particular instance. It wasn't that God said, oh, we don't want Neil to die right now. Let's send him a message. But it was that God wants me to have, and all human beings, to have expanded perception such that we can avoid outcomes that we do not desire. And how has God, in what form has he actually talked to you? And does he talk to everybody in the same form? No, the answer is, of course, no. She doesn't talk to me in only one way. God speaks to all of us, in, really, in a hundred different ways across a million moments in our lives. It's not just in writing or, you know, it words that we hear in our mind. Uh, often it's a vision. Often it's, you know, it can be something as simple as a fragrance. I'm walking through a department store and I smelled gardenia. 
And I don't know why, because I was not in the perfume section. And I'm thinking, why am I smelling gardenia? But I didn't question it. I thought, you know, I got to pay attention to this because Eli, gardenia was my mother's favorite, her signature uh, fragrance. Mm. So that, that was her favorite perfume. So I got home and I picked up the phone and I said, I got to call my mom because there's some reason why I'm smelling gardenia here in the department store. Sure enough, it was a very, very important phone call that I made to her turned out to be personally very, very important to me. So so God uh, communicates with us that that is the the expanded awareness that we are gifted uh, by God, uh, gifted with by God, allows us to receive information in a hundred different ways across a million lifetimes. Fragrances, visions, ideas, feelings that uh, come over us for no apparent reason, or the chance utterance of a friend that we just happen to, just happen to, by coincidence, run into on the street, or an overheard conversation in a coffee shop, or the lyrics of the next song you hear on the radio, or the words on a billboard as you're driving around the corner on the freeway, and then you see seven words on a billboard that directly answer what you've been looking at for the past six weeks. So, you know, there's no one way that God communicates with me, nor is there any one way that God communicates with everyone. Be aware that you, that God is communicating with us all the time. That is, the universe is showing us what we need to know. So, God By the is way, one of those ways is, is this program that people are listening to right now. Consider the possibility that people are getting that communication right now in this instant. Well, you actually begin your book off that way by saying that there's no coincidence that you, people actually reading your book, you know, that that could be God's intervention right there. The same way, I agree with you that if they're listening to this podcast right now, maybe there's no coincidence. Maybe it was meant to be. Maybe God's communicating right now. Just the fact that somebody took the time, there's 80 million choices, but somebody took the time to listen to this podcast. Absolutely. I was told in conversations with God, point blank, there's no such thing as coincidence. Mm, that's powerful. You got to keep our antennas up then. Yes. Wakefulness is one of the major, major uh, steps in my six step process to opening to your own conversation with God. Step number four, wakefulness. Stay awake. Yeah, absolutely. So why do you feel conversations with God resonated with so many people? And did you ever anticipate it would be this global phenomenon? Uh, the answer to the second question is no, of course, no one could imagine such a thing, at least, you know, not in my case. But I think it became wildly popular and and widely read because it turned out that I was asking God questions that everyone asks, questions about life, love, romance, sexuality, parenting, right livelihood, health, diet. I mean, I was asking questions about everything, really. You know, once I realized that I had, you know, I had somehow connected with the divine, I wasn't going to let it out of my sight without asking every question I ever had. So people were opening the book going, you know what, I've wondered the same thing. And they were not only reading the book voraciously; they were passing it on. They were they were giving it to wives, to you know, to to brothers-in-law. They were giving it to friends. They were saying, "Hey, you got to read. You got to read this. You got to read this book." So the, the, they they told us in New York that the book had one of the highest what they call hand-to-hand -hand rates. Books that are given to other people who then give them to a third person, and so forth. It had to, it had one of the highest pass on rates. And what 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 that results in is that people buy their own copy because they want to have a copy for themselves, and they also want to give one away to somebody else. So that's what spurred, I think, you know, many many people. Frankly, not bragging, just saying, millions of people who've purchased that book.
I can't think of a better gift than the gift of God. A little better than chocolates and roses, maybe, you know, the ubiquitous choices. <laughs> well, roses maybe not better than chocolates, but, but... <laughs> maybe you're right about that. Um, so, you know, of course, a lot of people have tried to play devil's advocate uh, with you over the years. I'm sure you're pretty used to that. And so, so the question would beg, you know, you say that two-way communication with this very real God can change your life. So how can one be sure that communication is not just one way? By looking, by again, by staying awake and looking at what you're feeling. You know, the stomach never lies. You know, your, your mind can really trick you, but your stomach will never trick you. So I call it... I call it the mm, tummy the test. Gut, the yeah, gut. exactly. So mm -hmm. I call it the tummy test. Your tummy will tell you, and all you have to do is listen to your body. That's, by the way, that's the greatest gift that our body brings us. Not only the ability to do things, but the ability to feel things viscerally. We can feel things. You know what? You can feel when someone's lying to your face, even though it doesn't seem that, True. that they're lying. And you can also feel when someone is being incredibly sincere and straightforward and direct. These are things we we've learned how to feel. We go to the closet to put on a you know a, an outfit to go to an, an interview or some kind of an event, and we step out of the closet and go, no, it doesn't feel right. Go back and change, literally change your clothes because you want to put on something that feels better. So we the, the body has an intense ability, an incredible ability to feel the truth. And that's what I've learned in my life, and I paid attention to that. So when I receive a message that could have come from the divine, I listen to what my body tells me, and my body has never failed to be right about it. One of your chapters asks the question, can anyone talk with God? And it begs to answer the question in a way that, why aren't people actually talking to God more? Why wouldn't you try to communicate with a being, so so-called, that has created, I mean, first of all, you know, think about it, like, how is it that we have two ears? How is it that we have one mouth, one nose, and we have a heart and all these things? Like, how did something like that get created? It's got to be something far greater than man, right? So why aren't we putting more insurance into that whole idea, more faith into God? You know, why are some people still, you know, holding back? Because we've been instructed to by our culture. Eli, we live in a culture that does not accept easily that the highest power in the universe is talking directly to us. The culture says, okay, fair enough if you're the Pope. You know, the Pope is said to be infallible. Or the Archbishop of Canterbury, or the head ulama, or the chief rabbi, or somebody who, quote-unquote, deserves to be receiving information from the divine. But the average person, I mean, the first baseman for the New York Yankees, I don't think so. You know, and to, to say nothing about you and me. So, because our religion, you know what? It goes even further than that, Eli. Most religions, there are, as I said, there are 4,000 religions on the planet right now. Most religions tell us that if we imagine that God is talking directly to us, I mean, it's okay for us to say we talk directly to God. In fact, religions encourage us to pray to God. But religions discourage us from saying that God talks directly to us. And the discouragement is not a small aspect of it. Religions tell us that if you go around telling people that God is talking directly to you, you're a blasphemer. Mm. You're an apostate. You're committing heresy. This is an ecclesiastical offense against the highest power. So with religions telling us that God would not direct you to you, of course, religions have an investment. Religions have to tell us that God will never talk directly to us because if God will talk directly to us, who needs religion? So the only way people, the only way to keep people in the pews is to make people clear that God talks to 
us through our religion, not individually. That's how you keep people coming to the temple, coming to the mosque, coming to the church, coming to the meetings, because that's the only way that God would ever allow God's desires to be known clearly to humanity. But if you walk around the world saying, no, 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 God talks directly to me, you're going to be marginalized, to put it mildly, if not accused of heresy. So another devil's advocate question I'm sure you've heard many times. Of course, you know, you've heard of the book Harold Kushner wrote, and he wrote, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, which is an incredible question if you really think about it. And, you know, uh, like, why are these bad things happening? You know, why would a good God allow this to happen? So why doesn't God intervene? Because it's not God's purpose to control the experiences of humanity at such a level that we become minions in a kingdom. Do what, do what God demands, and good things will happen to us. But don't do what God demands, and we're going to be in deep trouble. God's, God's purpose and intention was not to create a kingdom of minions. God's intention was to create a kingdom, for a universe for that matter, of sentient beings who were empowered to create their own reality. You know, God can't give you the power to create your own reality on one hand, and on the other hand say, tell us, do it this way or you're in trouble. That would be hypocrisy at the highest level. So what God says to us is, I give you the power to create your own reality. Go and do as you will. So some of us wait to that critical moment when things, the uh, you know what hits the fan, and all of a sudden now we go back to God and God, please, I'll do anything. You know, we, we actually make a bargain with God, right? We say, you know, God, if you can just cure me right now, I promise you I will not uh, do all the bad things that I've done before, you know, and then we actually expect God to intervene and, and cure us. Tell me yes, about that, your thoughts about that. Well, that that is the thinking of, of people who are, frankly, I don't want to be insulting, but it feels like an, a very elementary school edition. It's just, it's just a very primitive understanding of the highest power. God is not Santa Claus, you know, minus the beard or maybe with the beard for that matter, but minus the red clothes. God is not Santa in the sky. God is the, an essential essence, in, I believe an entity, uh, the source of an extraordinary power, but it's a power that God has shared with every sentient being in the cosmos. Here, have your portion of this power. It's called the power to create. Use this power, which we call metaphysics, to create the reality that you individually and collectively choose to experience. Now, the fact that we're creating collectively, especially horrible outcomes on the planet is an indication of where we are in our evolutionary development. We have a long way to go. So it's time to wake up and decide, do we really have the power to collectively change our reality? The answer is yes, when we reach critical mass. That's why podcasts like this one right here, not to throw roses that are undeserved, but that's why these activities are now gaining a great deal of interest and following in, in the world, because we're starting to see we surely can't be going in the right direction. But God is clearly not going to step in and stop us. She's waiting for us to stop ourselves from destroying ourselves. And the question is whether we're willing to do that. And why are we not willing to do that? Because we do not understand that we are still in charge and have always been in charge. Mm. We think that we we think that events and circumstances are outside of our control. 
And anyone who steps in and says, no, we have the ability to control these things is uh, mislabeled. So and that's why that's why we have not st- stepped in yet. But we what we need to do now is create idea heroes. We need to have idea heroes all over the planet who say, no, it's our turn. Now, it's it's humanity's turn to have its own way on this planet, a way of light and love and compassion and caring and generosity and openness and sharing. And we're done with the cruelty. We're done with this whole idea that the only way we can solve our problems is to kill each other. I mean, come on. Well said. Yeah, love heals all. So I've been reading your book, and I have to tell you, it's impossible to put down. I I think I'm going to read it at least two more times because I got to get this God thing right. And I think every human being should want to get this God thing right because once you have the God thing right, uh, and you and uh, and you could. uh, uh, realize that she is <laughs> out there and she's real and she's communicating with us. Uh, I think we'll all be better off for that. What do you hope that people will get out of reading your book? What lessons? I hope that they'll get God right. I, 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 by the way, you've given me the title of my next book. That's a great book title. Getting God right. That's going to fly off the show. Mm, well, I may but, have to. Uh, but, I may have to but, co-write it with you. <laughs> that, that's that's, or maybe write it yourself. But, yeah. but, but, but that's what uh, I hope that will be produced uh, by this latest uh, publication that I've that I just released. I hope that it'll help people truly to get God right. Well, you know why that's it, fascinating to me because uh, uh, human beings we chase often the wrong things. We think that we need to be rich. We think that we need to be famous. We have big egos. You know, we get easily offended. And if we maybe understood God better and focused more on God and what we think that God wants for us, maybe things well, would turn well, out well, even well, better. Well, let, let, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. <laughs> Go ahead. Because if we're thinking what God wants for us, God's going to say nothing. Mm. See, see, anyone who has a real conversation with God is going to be shocked when we say, okay, God, I'm with you. I'm with you. Just tell me what you want. And God's going to say no, For nothing. us to figure it out. Yeah, it's going to say God's going to say nothing. There's nothing Mm. that I want except I want what you want. Mm. That's what pure love says to anyone that we say we love. You know, we can't even love the person on the pillow next to us in that way, where we say to that beloved other person, "I want what you want, and, and I don't need anything in particular in response for the love I'm willing to give you." So when we say, "What does God want?" You know, I wrote a book, by the way, by that exact title. The book is called What God Wants. And chapter nine in that book goes into great detail, page after page, about six six or nine pages of what God wants. Those nine pages are blank. The publisher almost do, wouldn't publish the book. I mean, they said, we can't, we're not going to put a book out with nine blank pages. I said, then don't put the book out because I'm making a point here. I want people to turn to chapter nine. I promised them in the first eight chapters, chapter nine will tell you everything you need to know about what God wants. And then they turn to chapter nine, blank pages. Can we live with the idea of a God who wants nothing from us, but desires for us to have everything that we want and urges us to want that which serves us rather than that which destroys us? So all you have to do now is decide to change what it is that we want from that which is destroying us to that which would serve us. It's really quite simple. Primitive human beings have overcome this in other civilizations. But right now, we're acting like two-year-olds on this planet. Yeah, if we can just get past our egos 
and we can get past some of the assumptions and the things that we've learned. Maybe we need to start unlearning some of those things. Ego uh, is a wonderful acronym, E-G-O, Edging God Out. Mm, that I like. That's another book title. Yep. <laughs> because I think that is probably the biggest barrier to God that we have on this planet is really ego. You know, I mean, you think about people, they they believe what they believe and they don't want to change. You know, they're so convinced. Uh, and what comes out of their belief systems is is often, uh, you know, wars and disasters and and arguments and a complete opposite of uh, of what you talked about before. The complete Which, opposite of what they even say they want. The complete opposite right. of what they want. Yeah. All we have to do really is grow up and stop acting like two-year-olds and mature enough to realize that we're not even getting what we all say we want out of life. Surely there's something we don't fully understand here, the understanding of which would change everything. So, Neil, how do you deal with difficult people? How do you deal with challenges in life? How do you deal with inevitable ups and downs without getting yourself crazy and, and, and misaligned? Not as well as I would like. <laughs> That's an honest answer. Well, I tell my audiences, you know, hello, my name is Neil, and I'm not my book. Mm. The information did not come from me. It came through me, fair enough, but it, it did not come from me. Don't I wish I could step into the living of that wisdom every single day and every single hour of my life? But am I doing better now than I was 25 or 30 years ago? I'll give myself that. Yes. So how I deal with difficult people right now is with compassion, with understanding, with awareness, with sensitivity to their needs, and with a willingness to see myself there. You know, one of the first questions I ask myself when someone's being difficult with me is, inside of my mind, I say to myself, have I ever acted this way or even a second cousin to this? Have I ever done or said something close enough to this where I can understand how they could do it? Look at the man in the mirror. Hello. Like Michael Jackson talks about in his song, right? <laughs> so... And when I ask myself that question, I realize that very few people have ever demonstrated an aspect of themselves in front of me that I have not demonstrated in front of someone else in some way, shape, manner, or form. Perhaps not as dramatically, but certainly some version of that. So what I've come to understand is that understanding itself is the key. God said to me something quite astonishing. She said, I want you to write this on your bathroom mirror. Get a black felt tip pen and write this in the top right hand corner of your bathroom mirror so you read it every morning when you're looking into the mirror understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master Can you say that again because that's a powerful statement understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master I've often said to people when I talk in churches, and I've been invited to speak, you know, in churches and synagogues and houses of worship, and I say to those congregations, guys, I'm coming here to tell you something that maybe you haven't thought about. God will never forgive you for anything. And the place goes crazy. Eyes start crossing in the front row. What is this guy telling us? I'm telling you that God will never forgive you for anything because it's impossible for you to offend, upset, anger, injure, damage annoy or frustrate God in any way, because God needs nothing from you any more than you need something from your 18-month-old child or grandchild. So when, you, when, you're, when your grandchild spills the milk on her second birthday, and she's reaching for the chocolate cake, oh, mommy, chocolate cake, oh, boy, oh, boy, and she knocks over the milk and spills the milk all over the table because she knocks over the glass, and now the party is ruined. 
What what does grandpa say to the two-year-old child? It's okay, sweetheart. I forgive you. Of course not. Because the grandfather realizes that forgiveness is not part of the equation. In fact, not only does the grandfather never forgive the child, he actually comforts the child in the moment of her dismay. Do you think God acts less than your own grandfather would have acted with you if you spilled the milk? Now, we've learned, of course, there's no use crying over spilled milk. And God has understood that from the beginning. God has understood that from the beginning. So God does not under, does not forgive us. She understands what it's like for a civilization that has not yet evolved to the point where we realize that we are truly individuations of divinity. That's a powerful statement that God needs nothing, and God understands that we are ever-evolving. And if we can get to the point and really understand what is it that really is important in this life and stop chasing the false idols. Well, we can't understand what's important until we know what we're doing here. If we think we're here to get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, you know, get the better house, get the better mm-hmm. car, get the better job, get the office with your in the corner with your name on on the wall, you know, get you get get the building on the corner with your name on top of the building. If that's what we think we're here for, then we will have total misunderstanding of how to live our lives because we don't really know who we are. See, if I think I'm this, my body or my mind, I'm in big trouble. But once I am clear what my identity is, that I'm actually a spiritual entity with a body and with a mind that these are simply pieces of equipment that allow me to move forward the agenda of my soul and when i'm clear that the agenda of my soul has nothing to do with get the guy get the girl get the car get the job get the house get the better car get the better job nothing to do with any of that that the agenda of my soul is to express and experience who i really am my soul yearns to demonstrate and bring into its experienced reality, its awareness of its true identity. That's why if you're walking down the street and you see a building on fire, you turn to the left, oh my God, does anybody see this? It's a building on fire. And then we hear a baby crying in the building. An infant in that building. The first thing that eight out of 10 people would do, nine out of 10 people, frankly, would run into that building to see if they can save that baby. Because the question in that moment is not, whether we're going to live, but how we're going to live. All we have to do is realize that survival is not the fundamental instinct. The fundamental instinct is the expression of divinity, which is the expression, if you please, of who we really are. Therefore, my advice, allow each moment to be a burning building moment. Yeah, you don't think too uh, much about that you act on instinct and your instincts are correct, your gut's correct, because the quality of what you do is far more important than, than the quantity of what you do. And there's no better quality than running into a burning building and saving somebody's life. There's no greater calling than that. You don't have to need too much uh, debate on that. And so in closing, uh, any other words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the average person who's struggling right now, struggling through disease, struggling through depression, struggling through trying to understand this whole confusing life, what would you tell him? Same thing that God said to me when I reached the end of my rope 30 years ago, when everything in my life was falling apart. My relationship was ending. I was released from my job five days later. Then I was in a car accident five days after that. So within the same 10-day period, and the car accident was not a fender bender. It was a to- My car was totaled, and I wound up with a broken neck. 
And it wasn't a hairline fracture. It was a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. And the doctor looked at me and he said, you've been given a miracle. Most people die from this kind of a fracture in the neck because of spinal cord complications. So, Mr. Walsh, what do you intend to do with the rest Make of your life? Make it count, Mr. Walsh. Make it count. What do you intend to do with the rest of your life? So here's the message that I would leave when I am, because I ask God in my conversation with God, what does it take to make life work? What have I done to deserve a life of such endless struggle? Tell me the rules. I'll play. I promise I'll play. Just give me the rule book. Tell me how it really works. And God said to me, sweetheart, it's so simple. It's so simple. Write this down. Your life has nothing to do with you. Your life is not about you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. It's a wonderful life. And yet when you realize that your life is about how you touch other people's lives, you will then see that in the largest sense, I guess it turns out, your life is about you for an astonishing reason. There's only one of us. All things are one thing. There is only one thing and all things are part of the one thing there is. We are all fingers on the hands of God. It's really, Neil, quite simple. Well, I want to thank you, Neil, because you've touched my life and your messages ring true and you are making a difference and you have made a difference. And I'd like to encourage my audience to go out and get a copy of God Talk, not just because it's a good thing for Neil, because I don't think Neil needs you to buy his copies, but I think it's a good thing to learn really what the true message and the true purpose of life really is. So I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. You're very generous, and thank you for saying that, Eli, and you're right about that. I do not need people. I didn't write the book because I need people to buy more copies. I wrote the book because a publisher called me and asked me to write the book because the publisher felt that this information could be helpful and useful for people around the world, and I agree that it could. You're very generous to give me the opportunity to share information about that with you, and thank you while we're thanking each other. Thank you for the work that you're doing and bringing to the world in the way that you do information that you know could be of help to them as well. Blessed be, my friend. Blessed be. Thank you for blessing so many people, and thank you for blessing me. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, Email the motivation show at gmail.com. That's the motivation show at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.